0: Invitations. We all love getting invitations. Invitations show us that we are valued, important, or that we think someone else is of value or importance. Invitations, whether to a friend's birthday, a wedding, and even a funeral, make us feel needed and special. When we receive an invitation, we know that we are important to the person sending it. We are needed to help celebrate or commemorate someone. I did some research into invites to parties, and I found a list of three ways to get yourself invited, which also then had a subset of rules to achieving the invite. The first was, use your connections. Use anyone you know who is going, and either go with them, or get them to have you invited. The second, provide a service for the party. Straightforward. Just offer to do something, when the party comes up around the host. The third and the final was to donate supplies. This is similar to the second, only you're ensuring you will get to the party because you need to be there to drop off the supplies. Not sure if I would take this advice or not, though, if you ever really wanted to be invited to a party, that's apparently how you do it. Let's flip it around. Imagine for a moment, you've been invited to celebrate with the Queen on her 100th birthday. It's a closed event and you're allowed to invite one person. How do you choose? How do you know you've invited the right person? Well, there's a list for that too. It consists of people who do the following. People that get out of the house. They have a large friend group and they already attend lots of parties and events and behaved appropriately at those parties that you've previously been together. So tick those boxes the next time you want to invite somebody to a party you're attending. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, please speak to us, help us to see and hear you and what you would have us know. Amen. Let's start at verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Jesus starts this parable, a parable being a short story which portrays a meaning of some kind. By saying, and I'm paraphrasing, I'll give you a clear metaphor to what the kingdom of God is establishing will look like. It's like a king who throws a party for his son's wedding. Now I imagine that kings throw exceptional parties for their sons. And when I think of extravagance, when I think of the extravagance that would come with a party like that, I'm reminded of the story about Maya Henry, who was a 15 year old girl in Texas. That's actually a picture of her 15th birthday party, by the way. Uh, Her dad paid 4.2 million pounds for that party. The guest list included people like Pitbull and Nick Jonas and also Hollywood makeup artists and photographers. Now that's the image of an over-the-top party with guests from all over the place and people not even known personally to young Maya. Parties are already somewhere people want to be because invitations hold meaning for everyone. So let's look at the invitation given to us here today in Matthew 22. Jesus continues in verse 3. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. The assumption is that the invites are out. People already know the party is happening. They got their letter by Foxgram, and they know when the party starts. So, the king sends out his servants and gives the order to request that the people come. The response is refusal. Those who had been invited have not chosen to come. This is something that I see often. Teaching a class of 25, 6 and 7 year olds, there are parties all of the time. Students get anxious about being invited. They get anxious that people won't come. Even the parents get anxious that the children won't turn up. And so we add RSVPs to our invitations. The king in Jesus' parable sends out for his RSVP nobody comes. It doesn't say that some refuse, it says they refuse. Everyone who is invited declines. Imagine the look on a child's face if nobody turned up to their party. Shame, embarrassment might be two words to describe, or even complete sadness. In our passage though, the king doesn't stop there. Why would he? It's the wedding feast of the age, the party of the century. The one and only prince is bringing his bride home. And so we move to verse 4. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened cattle, and if they have been butchered and everything is ready, so come to the wedding banquet. The king sends his servants out again to get the RSVP from the guests but this time it comes with a more detailed request. He adds in that he has taken his most prized stock and they have been prepared for the feast. He has provoked the guests into saying yes by using a custom reserve for the most important of occasions, killing the fattened stock. There's not much on the fattened oxen and cattle, though I do imagine it's similar to the prodigal son and the fattened calf, which is only used for such an occasion. So the servants are out again, trying to glam up the party to entice the invitees to accepting their invitation. I would hazard a guess that this is what Maya's dad would have done in order to get those high-profile guests to turn up to her party. So the guests have been given one more, or more of an idea of what the party will be like. Only the best will be provided. Look at their response, though. Verse 5. They paid no attention and went off one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. They paid no attention to it this time either. Even with the additional information of the best possible feast, they still decline. What makes these people so stubborn? What stops them from accepting the invitation? Let's look at the response to the first invitation again and then go over verses 5 and 7. In their response to the first invitation, it's just a clear rejection. But as we look through the response to the second invitation in Matthew, in his account of that parable given by Jesus, his reasons for the people declining, they paid no attention this time, but in doing so, one went to his field or to his work, another to his business. These people rejected the offer because their lives were too full. They had more important things to do. Their grass is greener, or so they think. The third response to the king's invitation is one of violence and aggression. They receive the invitation, decline it, and then go about mistreating and killing the servants of the king. They may have beaten them, ridiculed Who knows? There are a multitude multitude of responses towards the servants that could be included in the word mistreatment. It's a personal attack on the king. And as we saw in verse 7, he responds in kind. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I think this is a reasonable response. Let's take ourselves back to the invitation to the Queen's birthday. If we responded in such a way, when her right-hand man delivered our invitation, there would be consequences. Every action has a reaction. We would be tried by a court and placed in prison. Now the King is the court and the law. An attack on his people is personal to him, and so his response is reasonable. But he's not done yet. The feast is important. Remember... It's the feast of the age, the party of the century. The one and only prince is bringing his bride home. There is no way the king will stop there. So what does he do? Well, let's look at verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets And gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. This blows my mind. The king sends out his servants to the far reaches, all the street corners, as far as they could, and invited every person to the feast, the good and the bad. And what happened? The wedding feast was filled, people came. It wasn't the people who were originally invited but those who would listen and chose to attend. The king never gives up on getting people to the party. He pursues people down to the lowliest and the most unworthy in order that the wedding hall might be filled. And it was. We've just spent months in Acts, hearing how nothing stops the gospel. Here, Jesus gives a clear picture of how God works to ensure that the that it reaches the street corners and the far-out places. God never ceases in his pursuit of new believers. He never ceases in his pursuit of bringing those close closer to him. Even when there is rejection of his love, mercy and grace, God continues to be patient and ask over and over again for you, for me, for everyone, to turn to him and accept the invitation of the wedding feast of the age, the party of the century, because the one and only prince is bringing his bride home. What we see here is also in Romans 1.16, which says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. The first two invitations in Matthew are to the Jews, those who have the knowledge of the party, then to the Gentiles and the Greeks. And this includes us, those who don't have the knowledge of the party. Inviting people to things is really easy until it comes to church, or at least that is how I feel. So how might we be like the king who pursues people until he gets a response? If you were at big day out, then you'll remember a couple of things that Sam Chan explained to us. The first thing to help us in inviting people to church or into sharing the gospel is something I will never forget. We can't expect for people to listen to us if we first have not listened to them. We need to earn the respect to speak of the gospel. Sam explained a three-step process to achieving this. Coffee, dinner, gospel. Coffee representing a non-invasive, short time spent together. Dinner, becoming more intimate. And then you have the opportunity to speak of the gospel. If you take time to to do this... You will have formed a relationship and earn the respect to speak. Coffee, dinner, gospel. The parable continues, though. So let's read from verse 11 to 13. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed there was a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot Throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Imagine turning up to a wedding without your wedding clothes on. Now this is what I imagine when I read this. A guy with his blue truckie singlet on, his stubbies and his thongs. An image of a guy who totally stands out in the crowd. It's what gets him removed. His clothes, not who he is. Remember that in verse 10, the, servant found, the servants found whoever they could for the feast. So it was not because the king didn't recognize this man. It was purely because his clothes were not appropriate for the party. And so he bails him up. Where are your wedding clothes? In his question... In his, where are your wedding clothes? In this question, he is also asking, when did you accept the invitation? If he had accepted the invitation then he would have been in the correct clothes. The last verse of this passage is blunt and to the point. Go there with me. Verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. How true is that of this passage? The king invited everybody. He either knew or found, and yet not everybody was let in or chosen. Jesus, in this parable, lays it all down in one final sentence. Many or every person is invited, but only some choose to accept. John six twenty five and 26 help us to understand why this man is rebuked and sent away, and why not all people will be there at the day of the banquet. It says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The response of the man in Matthew and the response of those following Jesus in John are the same. They are seeing what's happening and they get the invitation, but are turning up for selfish reasons. They have not understood the invitation correctly and therefore they are clearly seen to have not accepted and understood God's grace. And as verse 13 states, they are tied up and thrown out where they will ever be, forever be in grief of the choice that they made and the consequences of it. This will be the same for us. If we don't understand the free invitation of God's grace and turn up for ourselves, we'll be found out and removed from the banquet. We will miss out, or we will miss out, On our chance altogether. There are three points in this passage that I see and I think that they help us understand more about God and Jesus teaching. Number one who does the inviting? Well at first glance it's the king obviously but as we dig deeper we see the king using his servants to engage the people in the party. God uses us to bring people into the kingdom and to the wedding feast. Number two, who's invited? Well, at first it's just the elect, just those known to the king. But as more and more of them decline and reject his care of them, what does he do? He goes out to the corners of the city, the ends of the earth, to find the helpless and the hopeless, and he invites them to fill the wedding hall. God won't give up on inviting all people to his grand feast. Number three, what does it look like to accept... Or, more to the point, what doesn't it look like? But in either, we all have a choice to make, and each of those choices have a consequence. One has major positive consequences, and the other has negative. When we accept God's promise to take us into the kingdom of the wedding feast, we are stripped of all impurity, evil, and imperfection, because our acceptance is based on the reality that Jesus died for us. We are accepting our salvation through God's grace and we are given the wedding clothes that allow us to walk into the feast. On the other hand, we decline. We walk into the feast in our singlet, stubbies and thongs, still covered in the grime from the day. We are found out and removed. If you're a Christian here today, then it's time to answer the question I asked at the start. You already understand the grace God has shown you. So, who are you going to invite to understand the same? How do you choose? How do you know you invited the right person? Take the kingdom's model for a start. Go to those with, that you know around you, who maybe you already know about church, or even people you have already got relationships with. If that fails, then send your invite out further. Put out feelers. The school gate, in the playground, while you're at work. Remember though, in order for people to listen, we need to earn their, respe- their right to speak. Coffee, dinner, then gospel. If you're not a believer yet, what will your response to the, to the invite be? Which consequence will you choose? One where you are made pure and perfect, or the one where you forever feel the grief of your choices? There is a day coming when there will be no more opportunity to make the choice. Just like the man in the parable, will you be found in your dirty clothes or will you choose to accept the invitation and be washed clean by Jesus' death and resurrection? There is a party that you're invited to, a party that goes far beyond Maya Henry's 15th, a party that holds more importance than the Queen's 100th birthday. It's the party for you and your salvation the party of a lifetime. And remember, you are invited. Will you say yes? And if you already have, who will you invite? Because let's be honest, when the time comes, it's the only place worth being.